Where is the Queen of England planning on building new offshore wind farms? And what's in Winnipeg's new climate action roadmap? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Wednesday, July 6th. Let's jump right into news you need to start your day. Let's start with an extreme weather event. Alaska and the surrounding areas saw about 17,774 lightning strikes in a 48-hour period, which is comparable with its 2013 record. This storm sparked more wildfires. Climate change provides more optimal environments for lightning because warmer air keeps more moisture. Climate change is also making the atmosphere unstable, which also can spur more lightning. And then climate change dries out the land, increasing wildfire risk. Speaking of an unstable atmosphere, let's look at some climate studies. A new report published in the journal Nature Sustainability has determined that methane is four times more sensitive to global heating than previously thought. We're seeing a rise in atmospheric methane over the last two years, and we explored last week how this could be due to there being more fossil fuel leaks in infrastructure as it erodes. But that might just be half the story. Methane might also be staying in the atmosphere longer than it used to. Methane decays from the atmosphere mainly due to a reaction with hydroxyl radicals. But hydroxyl radicals also combine with carbon monoxide produced by wildfires to remove it from the atmosphere. So as wildfires become more common, there are fewer hydroxyl radicals around to break down methane, causing it to continue warming the atmosphere for longer. On top of that, global warming is causing natural processes to release more of their methane than they used to, which increases how much methane is in the atmosphere. Natural methane accounts for 40% of global methane emissions, which is why it's so important to conserve methane-rich environments like wetlands and peatlands. Methane is 84 times a more potent greenhouse gas than CO2 for the first 20 years they're in the atmosphere. Will I someday say the first 25 years? I feel like doing this work has given me a closer look at how complicated atmospheric science is. Meanwhile, a new study published in the journal Nature Geoscience has determined that parts of Portugal and Spain are the driest they've been in 1,200 years. Welcome to the club, as the western U.S. is also the driest it's been in 1,200 years. That's crazy. Portugal and Spain's dryness is caused by a high-pressure zone called the Auroras High that rotates clockwise over the North Atlantic. The Auroras High has grown in size over the years, and that's linked to climate change. Time for some climate victories. The European Central Bank announced it is switching up its corporate bond holdings to favor issuers that pollute less. This plan will impact where about $31.3 billion or 30 billion euros goes every year, which is about 10% of its corporate portfolio. The measures will start in October to fully ramp up by 2024. Meanwhile, some EU lawmakers in the European Parliament are threatening to sue the European Commission if methane gas and nuclear are entered into the list of clean energy sources that can be marketed as sustainable choices. It's expected to be a tight vote, so I'll keep you posted. In the UK, the Queen's Property Corporation announced five locations that will house floating offshore wind farms. Floating is more of a new technology that can allow wind farms to be in deeper waters further offshore. If you want to learn more about that, I did a video on that that I'll leave a link to in the source list, which is linked in the description below. Anyways, the floating offshore wind farm areas were chosen based on information about shipping traffic, fishing activities, and sensitive environments. They're mainly off Cornwall, England, and Pembrokeshire, Wales. 
The Crown Estate hopes these farms will produce 4 gigawatts of energy for nearby residents by 2035, which is enough to power about 4 million homes. Businesses will be open to the tender process to build in those spaces by mid-2023. Over to North America, the capital of Canada's Manitoba province, Winnipeg, announced its climate plan to head towards net-zero emissions by 2050. The Committee of Council unanimously voted for this multi-million dollar plan, called the Community Energy Investment Roadmap. Winnipeg gets most of its energy supply from hydropower, so it's already one of the more sustainable power grids in the country. The areas it plans to focus on decarbonizing are transportation and heating. Canada committed to all of its car sales being zero emissions by 2035, which the roadmap backs up. The roadmap also wants to electrify transit by 2035 and create denser neighborhoods with super blocks that limit vehicle traffic and ensure residents have access to necessities within a 15-minute walk. We need that to be a thing in the U.S. too. The plan also wants to retrofit houses built before 1980 by 2035 to improve energy efficiency and promote electrification. 44% of the city's emissions come from buildings and 93% of that is connected to gas appliances. Over in the U.S., the Department of Energy released its job stats for 2021, which shows a good year for clean energy job growth while the fossil fuel sector is hemorrhaging jobs. I talked a bit about this towards the end of my video on West Virginia v. EPA, but I want to go a bit more into detail on it. Overall, energy jobs grew by 4% in 2021, while overall job growth was only 2.8% throughout the U.S. Despite the number of fossil fuel projects increasing in the U.S., the industry dropped 12% of its workforce last year. Most of that loss was in jobs specializing in petrochemical and coal. These industries lost about 40,000 jobs. Most of that energy job growth came from clean energy, primarily in hybrid and electric car and solar spaces. Those industries represent over 60,000 new jobs. Michigan saw the most new clean energy jobs because the governor has prioritized heading towards electric vehicles. All of this said, it should be noted that 2021 was a recovery year from the pandemic, so we'll have to see how 2021 numbers compare to this year's numbers and so on. Time for a climate fail. The EU is considering adding certain lithium chemicals to a list of reproductive and developmental toxins based on human studies conducted in the 1980s and 1990s. That's the highest list of toxins to get on, and it could stigmatize the electric car and battery storage industries, which could result in a loss of necessary investments. Several EV lobbying groups have sent an open letter to politicians asking them not to support this move. I'll keep you posted. Let's finish up with a win for Native Americans. New York's governor announced the state would give 1,000 acres of land back to the Onondaga Nation in one of the largest returns of land to an indigenous nation by any state. This decision is a result of a 2018 settlement between federal and state agencies and the manufacturing company Honeywell International. Honeywell's predecessors polluted Onondaga Lake with heavy metals and hazardous chemicals. This will count as just one of 18 restoration projects Honeywell has to carry out via the settlement. The land given to the nation is part of the Truly Valley. Land controlled by indigenous groups is more likely to promote biodiversity and less likely to get bogged down by fossil fuel development. And that was your climate news for Wednesday, July 6th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckensphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.